0: Referenda passing in 2018 of course we did have a larger bond issue in 2017 that would have also addressed the high school that the community very clearly told us that they weren't ready for that right and so we've taken care of the elementary schools. We are continuing to keep the middle school um, up to date and, and making sure that we're taking care of that wonderful investment that the community has made. Mm-hmm. And now we're just going through to update our master facility plan related to the high school. So we've been working with Wold Architects. They are the folks who we worked with on the elementary school projects. Uh, also using Knutson Construction, who did the construction management for those projects to do another in-depth analysis of where Northfield High School is at and what the future of that facility might be. So they have been working, uh, doing listening sessions with a number of internal stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So a lot of staff have had an opportunity to talk with uh, uh, Wold and Knudsen. Uh, We've had student groups. We've had athletic uh, folks from the community have a chance to talk with them, really just hearing what are the things that they like about the existing facility, what are things that are uh, preventing us from doing our best in those facilities, doing really practical things you know like looking at the HVAC systems and the exterior of the building you know that building has uh, the original plant in the mid 1960s and then several additions over the years so there's part of that building that still has single pane glass mm-hmm. windows things mm-hmm. like that so what we're doing is we're now assembling a task force so the Old has been doing these, they've done over 30 hours of listening sessions. Uh, We're assembling a task force of around 30 or so community people uh, that includes internal stakeholders, it includes parents uh, from the school, it includes community members who don't have uh, children in the school yet to learn about the building and talk about next steps. And so they will begin meeting, uh, they'll have four meetings, one beginning on March 17th, uh, and it's, it's the first one starts on March 17th. And again, it's intended to update what is the master plan. I have given that group a couple of uh, parameters, one of which is for them to focus on thinking about the existing building and site. So John. renovation and, and addition. Now, that doesn't mean that we're taking off the table totally a new facility. But right. what we're saying is that we know when we're looking at, the, we know that people love the location. We know that there 's a lot of parts of the building that are not all that old, right but we do know that to take care of that future for the uh, f- f- that facility for the future there's gonna to need to be some work done. A yeah. lot of that work is stuff that is is not gonna always be completely visible to the public. Right. We also know that we're lacking in some facilities compared to our neighbors. So when we think about the kinds of things that draw people to a community, we've talked about our demographic study. Yes, we are. Uh, we know that high school and youth athletic facilities are something that we are behind on. Uh, we do have some great resources, but we know comparatively to some of our similarly sized neighbors, Uh, We do not have the same level of access to those kinds of athletic facilities. So how does that play into it? We know that the um, the district has really invested in that building over the years. So, Mm -hmm. for example, a major component of a lot of updates would be your electrical. Well, the district invested in a major uh, electrical update in the early 2000s. uh, So there's not the typical concerns that you have about the electrical infrastructure. But there's real concerns about some of the... um, just what we would say, some of the cross-building comfort. So, if you are, I'm sure there are a number of high school students listening right now. That's a joke. Uh, that, you know,
1: there are um, oh, top demographic, but, but
0: there are a number of high school students. If you talked, if you talk to a high school student who's your neighbor, yes. or someone that you go to church with, yes. They have to dress in layers in that building, Mm -hmm. right? And we're not talking about saying, oh, these kids need to be super comfortable all the time. But when you are walking, it's a very large plant. Mm -hmm. Um, You're walking from a building that was built, a part of the building that was built in the 1990s with double-pane windows, better insulation, all the way to a part that was built in the 1960s based on a model of construction that was actually intended to be used in Florida or California, (laughs) single-pane windows, really poorly designed uh, um, uh, insulation there. You know, it it is totally common for kids to dress with a shirt, a sweatshirt, and their jacket, just because that can be the difference. And of course, I only offer that as an example of just the of the work that will need to be done to the facility. And looking at how do we do that, what's the best way for it? So I want to be really clear. We're putting together a master facility plan. We're putting together a plan that doesn't necessarily mean that it will result in a bond referendum, but it could. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a number of ways to address it, but more to come. And uh, if people have suggestions or thoughts about the high school building, they can certainly uh, give me a, send me an email or send uh, Cole Nelson, our director of buildings and grounds, an email. There's we could go into our music uh, rooms at the high school and need to be updated We have a world-class music yes. program. Yes, we, indeed. They they are 1960s rooms So right. there's a number of things that clash or all the kinds of things that we're talking about just needs We need to look at what's the plan for that facility so we can be good stewards of what has been entrusted to us
1: I have uh, two daughters that uh, collectively uh, between the two of them with one year of overlap spent seven years in that high school and uh uh, in seven years, Doctor Hillman, I never completely learned how to navigate that that building because
0: wayfinding is a challenge. It's
1: it's pretty patchwork in there, and I, I you know I would be one of those people that would uh, uh, e- endorse the building of a uh, of a new high school, but you don't need to hear that from me right now, um, because <laughs> we have budget talks to talk yeah. about budget prioritization to talk about.
0: So, and I think that's I, I'm really happy that we're talking the high school you know master facility plan yeah. and then talking about budget prioritization because it's often it can be very confusing to people wait a minute they're talking about updating a building when they're also talking about having to prioritize the revenue that they mm-hmm. have to be able to reduce expenditures and so just it's important to understand that you have to take care of both right? right i mean the facilities a lot of that those dollars come from a specific fund or from a specific funding stream for example when you go for a bond referendum in Minnesota, those dollars cannot be used for any operations, right? So we, we do have to talk about both of them at the same time. And I can certainly understand when people hear this next part about us having to prioritize our expenditures, they may, well, why are you thinking about a building? Well, if we don't think about the update and the maintenance and the stewardship of those resources now, mm-hmm. um, while we're talking about the budget, we uh, we can't keep pushing things off. So these are two important conversations. They sound very similar in yep. a lot of ways, yep. but the funding strategy and the funding stream is different. Now, to be clear, they all come—they come from a very similar place in our tax base. Yep. But we have to take care of both. And so I, I just think it's important for people to to know and understand that we can do these two things at once and talk about both of them. We're not having to execute all of them at the same time, right? But we do need to be able to talk about both of them, and we need to be able to make sure that we're taking care and being good stewards of both the ongoing uh, expenditures that we have along with the bond uh any kind of potential bond or or facility maintenance process sure sure so uh our as we've shared before uh gone back and talked about this several times so listeners can go back to last tuesday morning show on your podcast and hear myself and uh, director of finance val murder outline outlined the reasons for our budget prioritization we've been talking about this rich for quite a long time a year so it should not be a surprise to folks so uh Couple of items Number one is that We are going to see Declining enrollment In our school district Lower birth rates Less people moving in Uh, We do not have A robust housing Inventory in Northfield And even the housing That we do have Does not lend itself To starter kind of Family homes So if I'm a young family It can be difficult To move here We know people Want to move here It's difficult Um, So we're anticipating Going down by about 400 students Over the next 10 years And that means that we will have less revenue. The vast majority of the revenue that the school district receives is directly tied to our student enrollment. Now, we're starting the process from a position of financial strength. Um, We have long managed our money very well, and we've been validated by numerous external organizations. So we start with a very strong fund balance compared to other school districts. That's an important piece. We've also been very judicious with the federal uh, ESSER funds, or commonly referred to as the COVID relief funds. So we have just under $2 million that we had set aside knowing that this was coming so that we could offset uh, some of the uh, challenges and some of the adjustments that we need to make so we can be thoughtful and phase some of these adjustments in as necessary. But at the end of the day, you can't sugarcoat it. We need to have our expenditures be, over the next couple of years, about $4.5 million less on a $55 million budget than what we have had this year. And so we've got a group of over 60 people from the community coming together, breaking into three teams. They had their first meeting last Thursday night. The second meeting is tonight. And they are going through, and we're actually using a prioritization process instead of a cut process. We're wanting people to think about, when we think about our district's strategic plan, which is rooted in what the community has told us they expect from us. We had a very inclusive process to develop that strategic plan. We've identified a vision, We've identified six strategic commitments, and we've identified 11 benchmarks. And so we want the expenditures within what we are able to spend while still being a financially responsible organization to help us achieve those outcomes those learner outcomes, making sure that people are supported, making sure that we're able to be good stewards, right? Mm -hmm. Making sure that we're communicating well, making sure that we're doing so in an equitable way, making sure that we're removing as many barriers so that everyone has a true opportunity to achieve the American dream. And we can't do it by ourselves. We have to do it in partnership with the community. So these are the directions we've given to these committees. And they're saying, here are the things that we want to prioritize. So actually prioritizing um, all of the expenditures areas, not down to the Nitty gritty, though they do have that kind of detail because Val Murda our director of finance, put together an amazing Excel tool to help those uh, teams work. So tonight they'll start looking at what are those things that should go into the budget first. It's a messy process, right. and we're okay with it being messy because right. the truth is, if any school district wants to cut the budget, um, I could. If you if you told me you have to cut the budget, man, um, by nine a.m. this morning um I could probably have it done by 9:30. Wow. Be- but but that's because you look at it as numbers on a spreadsheet. Right. You don't if you, if you want to cut the budget, you can do it very simply, but no one's no one's going to be happy with right, it, right? Right, right? And so that process is important and it's okay to live with some of that ambiguity and a little bit of that discomfort because we have to at the end of the day, we have to adjust our expenditures to match the revenue or to be able to accommodate the mm-hmm. revenue that we're going to get from the state. The second part is that we've talked about the reason that we're here is chronic underfunding. Yes. So since 1991, 92, the state funding formula for schools has eroded by over $1,600 per student based when you compare it to inflation. And so if you use the CPI index and you look if the legislature had just increased the formula each year based upon the CPI, I'm not talking about the local, the latest CPI, the 6 and 7% you're hearing. Right, right. I'm talking about all of the CPI over those years continues to add up to where if they just adjusted it for inflation, we would have $1,605 more per pupil wow. than we do now. Wow. And people listening, if you want one thing to do, my call to action to you is this. Contact your legislature. Tell them if there's one thing that they can do with the $9.5 billion surplus, right? So we heard yesterday the new funding forecast for the state of Minnesota, $9.5 billion. Contact your legislatures and say if you can do one thing for schools this time around, give them full funding of the special education cross subsidy. That's the general fund money that we use to pay for what I consider to be morally imperative services for students with disabilities, Mm -hmm. but that's also required and is not reimbursed. And if we, our cross-subsidy in Northfield is $5 million. So if they funded that cross-subsidy, we would not have a need for the reductions that we're looking at.
1: What would you say to legislators who said, well, yes, Dr. Hillman, but we made an historic uh, investment in education in the last legislative session?
0: So that is one. Uh, I am on record going back to the moment that that was passed. I'm sure on this radio station that I said immediately afterwards, we are we value the resources that have been invested. But when you say a 2.45 percent investment on the formula is a historic investment, and even then, it didn't match inflation. Right. Yep right so, especially this so year. i i would argue that that is one perspective and of course we are very grateful we it was a helpful piece we would always be thankful for it but to frame it in a way that it solved all of the school's issues is not even close to right and i'd like to remind people at this point the state of minnesota constitution has two responsibilities the only there's only two things that the constitution says state government needs, needs to do it needs to have a, and maintain a system of roads and a uniform system of schools those are the only two things that are required by the state constitution, and yet we have school districts that are continuing to have to look at reductions. Not just us, right? And we have our community has stepped forward and filled in the gap. Yes. That this, but you cannot outrun. There's no school district with as much funding as you could ever get w- within the current framework that can outrun declining enrollment in the current model. Right. And so declining enrollment plus that under that chronic underfunding. Um, it is, it's just a recipe for where everyone is going to be at at some right, point. Right.
1: I don't know how much time you have left, so let's real quick touch on the, uh, the COVID situation. You bet. Schools.
0: Yeah, so we are moving in the right direction. So huh? as people, uh, listeners know, uh, just about a week ago, we re- removed our uh, requirement for masking indoors and a number of other safety protocols. Because the data was going in the absolute right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, listeners who listened in January taught, heard me talk about hundreds of new cases a week over a couple of periods, a couple of weeks. Uh, today, right now, this morning, I just updated the dashboard before I came into the radio station. We have 18 total active cases across the entire school district. And that means that those are 18 cases that have been reported to us from staff and students in the last. 14 days. We're now looking at the influenza-like illness rate. Our influenza-like illness rate is, frankly, it's, it's pretty outstanding. It was under 1% in many of our buildings for the average of last week. So as I look at the building averages from last week, you've got um, five of the seven buildings that were under 1% average for the week. Uh, You had one building that was at 1.14%. And then Northfield Community Ed Center, which is always a difficult one because they have uh, a number of kids who aren't there every day, but they were at 3%, so still well below the 5%. Uh, that we're looking at and then of course we also have some new cdc guidance that just came out over the weekend the thing that was very clear right away is that the requirement for students and people for people to wear a mask on a school bus is now gone so yesterday morning uh benjamin bus stopped enforcing that requirement of wearing a mask on a school bus and uh That was communicated to families yesterday. And then we still have, right now, we're still having the students at the Northfield Community Education Center. Those are our youngest students. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're really prioritizing making sure that we're keeping that child care center open. They're currently still masking, but we are reviewing the new guidance from the CDC. We're looking at the current data there, working with our incident command team, and I think people can expect uh, an update to our protocols very soon.
1: Cool, cool. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, I think this is the first time... um, I started working here uh, full time in October of uh, 2020, and I think with maybe two exceptions uh, last summer, this is the first time I've seen you come visit a- the studio without a mask at all. That's You correct. got one in your pocket though, don't you?
0: Yep, we are. <laughs> <Right here. laughs> I knew you would. Uh, I mean, one more thing yes. about that. So, Rich, we were talking before that. So, we have a our spring break is actually uh, next week, starting March, March 7th, and a couple of years ago, our calendar committee said, we should, we'd should we like to try something different with the spring break. Can we get the spring break a little bit earlier um, so that people have a chance to go somewhere warm while it's actually really still potentially cold? Now, uh, we also got a lot of feedback after that was adopted that people really prefer that end of March. So mm-hmm. next year, we are going back to the end of March for our sure. spring break. But sure. I think it was, no one knew anything about COVID at the time we adopted this calendar, but clearly... This break comes at a good moment. What I want to share with families who are listening, though, is that we want people to get out and, and to be able to enjoy a different cadence, but we also want to make sure when we come back on March 14th that we do so as safely as practicable because we do not want to have to get to a point of reactivating any of our protocols. Right. So, all district families who are listening, if you, we, we have uh, lots of COVID 19 tests available. So what we really encourage families to do is if you're, especially if you're going to go away or if you're just doing things here, grab a test or two from your school. You can also get them from the district office and just you know have your students test before they come back if we do have some students who are positive uh, you know, as a result of wherever they've been and we can prevent them from coming back to school, that helps us, right? And so it just helps us make sure that we limit that disease transmission uh, in our schools. And so if people are traveling or if they've got other things just here within Northfield, we're just strongly encouraging people to take a test before their students return from spring break. You can get them for free at any of our school offices sure. or at the district office. Just better safe than sorry. You got it. We just yeah. want, we want to do a everything we can to avoid we have a method for reactivating our protocols but we want to do everything we can not to have to
1: it's it's, it's the line from jaws to roy scheider looks at the city council and says i'm not going through that heck again so <laughs> that's that's summarized there it is anything else uh to, that you'd like to discuss dr hillman
0: um just the arcadia charter school we are one of remember we're one of two public school traditional right. public school districts in the state that authorize charter schools Arcadia is up for their contract renewal this year, and we started that last night with uh, Director Laura Stelter giving a presentation to the board about the contract renewal. So okay. more to come on that in the sure. coming months.
1: Okay, all right. Dr. Matt Hillman, thank you very much for, uh, for being here today. And we thanks talk- for
0: accommodating my schedule to be here earlier this uh, morning. You know,
1: you're, you're welcome here anytime, Matt. You know that. So anyway, we will be back shortly with uh, Lindsay Ness and the local, local headlines. Before that, though, a couple of words from uh, sponsors. And Terry Knight with a garden bite.